Surah number 43 and Ayah number 57. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ولما ضرب ابن مريم مثلا إذا قومك منه يصدون وقالوا آلهتنا خير أم هو ما ضربوه لك إلا جدلا بل هم قوم خصمون الله سبحانه وتعالى is using two examples of the Prophet to explain to the Quraysh and the people of Mecca that uh, people before you have come and they have had gold and silver and riches and they have had authority in the world but they uh, were doomed basically. The first story is the story of Musa and Fir'aun, which we did. Today we have the second story, that is the story of Isa salam. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, وَلَمَّا ضُرِبَبْنَا مَرْيَمَ مَثَلًا إِذَا قَوْمَكَ مِنْهُ يَصِدُّونَ That the Quraysh... Now coined an example of the idols with Isa alayhi salam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is condemning that parable, parallel, an example. This is an absurd comparison that Isa alayhi salam is a servant of Allah. And he is the son of Maryam. Yeah. Where none of your idols are the sons of anything. So Allah uses now this description of Ibn Maryam instead of Isa Ibn Maryam to show that there is Tawalut Tanasul progeny and Isa is a human being. He came from Maryam. Okay, so now one is that Isa is male and Maryam is female, whereas your idols do not have necessarily a gender. And plus you said that angels are the daughters of Allah. So this is how Allah is now explaining to the people of Mecca that the first example of Musa against the tyrant authority and now you have brought in another example of Isa the son of Maryam and you want to justify your shirk based on someone who is pure and noble. So this is a wrong qiyas if you want to call it that. An analogy which is absurd. And then they say that our gods, are they better than him? So here the Prophet was also uh, kind of saddened by this likening and this conversation that uh, he did not have an immediate response to this. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed these revelations to reassure him 
and give him a response. مَا ضَرَبُوهُ لَكَ إِلَّا جَدَلَهُ The reason why they are coining these examples is simply for argumentation. They don't know the truth. They don't know the rules of logic and rhetoric. They don't know how to make this even somewhat rational. And it's just an act of, you know, argumentation. Okay. So their purpose and their niya is very different from their words. بَلْهُمْ قَوْمٌ خَصِمُونَ The truth is that they are very argumentative people. Um, yeah. they, they do not want to understand the truth. Even if they accept the truth in their minds, in their hearts, they will not uh, express the truth in front of you because uh, they just want to argue with you for the sake of arguing. Yeah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is laying down a foundation for the Prophet that if you do want to go into jidal and argumentation, mujadala, um, and debate, etc., then you must first understand the position of the opponent. And here the position of the opponent is not necessarily to find any truth or to have any standards or rules of debate. They just want to argue. So you must not waste your time trying to justify your mission in front of their very false ideology. بَلْهُمْ قَوْمٌ and the truth of the matter is, he is only a servant. He is nothing except a servant whom we have favored. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that Isa is a creation of Allah. And more than a creation of Allah, he is Allah's servant. And Allah's servant, servants, they're always now honored by Allah because they serve him. When you have a worshipper and a worshipped, then the one who is worshipped is going to honor the worshipper. That's the rule. So this is a ni'mah from Allah, that Isa is a servant of Allah. Uh, He has nothing to do with your shirk or your idols or any kind of myth that you want to now impress on other people. That's number one. And then we made him an example. We made him into an example for the Bani Israel, an exemplar, as you see the translation here. That he was a role model for the people of the Bani Israel who believed in Tawheed, who believed in the Torah, and so on. So he came to reform them, he came to refine their practices, and so on. So he was given knowledge by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly through wahi, and he did not need to resort to any kind of scheming, uh, building, manufacturing, creating idols. Mm. So he lived a true life, and he is a wonderful example for the Banu Israel. Mm. Then Allah subhanahu wa says that in the cosmos, had we wished, uh, we could have made from amongst you, angels who would then inherit from you and come after you, who succeed you. 
meaning that we could have replaced human beings with angels, but we didn't. There is a possibility that the divine has this ability, but the divine is eternally wise and he will not do this. He will only replace human beings with human beings. He won't replace human beings with another species because that goes against the whole system of creation. So that will be now one species will not represent another species. So you can kind of think about this in your discussion of Darwinism and so on. Anyway, so here Allah says, if Allah wanted, he has the ability to do this, but he doesn't do this because he is now going to remain faithful and loyal to the system that he has applied and he has created. So Allah follows the rules of the world that he creates. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. All praise is due to Allah, who is the Lord of all the worlds, or the alam, this alam, this alam, this alam. Okay. But in every alam, in every world, there are rules. And Allah will not disturb those rules unless it's a miracle. That's called the mojiza, when you go against the grain. So Allah will apply the rules of time and space where there's time and space. So if water boils at 100 degrees here, then Allah will not change that for anyone unless it has to be a proof for the prophethood of a prophet. But uh, that doesn't happen. That rarely happens. There's more exceptions to the rule than the rule itself. So in this world, Allah will not replace angels with human beings and human beings with angels because that's against the system. That's against the rule of this world. Okay, so who succeeds who? Species succeed each other. Okay, that's the rule. And with this rule, now you can say, we understand the law of this world and the rule of this world so that we have an organization, that we don't have chaos, and so on. So this is how we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying to the Quraysh that angels are one thing, idols are another thing, and Isa is another species altogether. The idols are false, they're manufactured. The angels, they live in another world. They don't belong to this world. They come here only as messengers, and they go back. They don't live here, they don't reside here. And Isa is a servant of Allah, he lives here, and therefore he will obey the rules of this world, and he will not interfere with the rules of another world, and so on. However, since Isa is a tremendous parable and uh, an example, not just for the Banu Israel, but also for this Ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah says, And indeed, most certainly, he is a knowledge for the final hour. Yeah, he's a symbol for the final hour, and so on. Meaning that when he comes, he will inform people of the final hour. Ilm here, another qira'in is alam. Wa innahu la'alam. So that be a landmark and a sign for the last hour. So Isa will come back to the world, and he will be a means of knowledge for people to now to realize that this is the end of time. People will be, believe in him. Then, 
So Allah is saying, فَلَا تَمْتَرُنَّ بِهَا The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi is saying that you must now not doubt him. وَاتَّبِعُونَ And follow me. Meaning the Prophet Sallallahu is saying to all people that you must follow me even when Isa is here. You must still follow me. He will only come as a prelude to the Day of Judgment, as a sign of the Day of Judgment. هذا صراط مستقيم. This here indeed is a straight path. So when you want to now have evidence, the evidence must be straight. One thing must lead to another. So this now idea that Isa is a servant of Allah, Allah favored him by raising him to the heavens, and Allah will favor him again by bringing him back down to earth where people will now believe in him, and through him they will believe in Muhammad So this ayah now states the uh, recoming of Isa either this qirat or the other qirat uh, which I just mentioned. So here we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that Musa came to a group of people, the Banu Israel, laid down the foundation for law and order. They followed him mostly until they needed reformation. And when they needed reformation, Isa came to reform them, to refine them. And when Isa was now persecuted, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected him. And then he will come back as an assistant to the Prophet Muhammad This is how Allah has planned out time for human beings in this world. So this is the time, Asa'a. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have been sent with the saa like these two fingers, meaning the distance between this finger and this finger is the distance between my coming and the day of judgment. So it's a very short time in terms of the cosmos. Yeah. So we see now the Prophet is coming and Isa coming makes it a knowledge, a knowledge of the last hour. And that's how you see this ayah playing out in terms of our aqidah, that Sunni Muslims believe Isa salam, did not die on the cross, and he was raised to the heavens, and he will come back to earth, as this ayah is also saying. Yeah. This is a straight path. So this is how Allah subhanahu wa wants this to work. And so on. Since most people in this world, other than the, you know, the Hindus or the Buddhists, uh, they are from the Ahl Kitab, the Jews and the Christians, Isa salam, will come to represent them and show them the straight path towards Islam. That there is no one from the Ahl Kitab who will not believe in Isa before the Day of Judgment. So they will come and they will believe in him as Muslims. So anyway, this is Allah's plan. So Allah does what he does. And this is the plan we have in Sharia. So there's a law of Sharia which is to do the good work and not wait for that. You don't wait for that to happen. That will result in fatalism. Okay. So Muslims must not wait for the Mahdi. Is the Mahdi here? I mean, who cares whether the Mahdi is here or not? If he is here, you're in trouble. That means the Dajjal is here. <laughs> right? So all of these fascinating dreams that people have and say, the Mahdi is here and he says, really? Where's the Dajjal? So you don't want to be here when the Dajjal is here because you may not be a Muslim. 
the fitna of Dajjal is so severe that uh, very few people will remain Muslim in front of the Dajjal. So all these fancy dreams people have, sit down and shut up, be quiet. Whether they're true or not, who cares? You can't wait for the Mahdi to come. You have to do the work now. So there's a law of Sharia and there's a law of the cosmos. So Isa's coming is following the laws of the cosmos that Allah takes care of. We have no business there. What we need to do is take care of the Sharia here. We have to do what we need to do here now so that uh, we delay the coming of Isa and Mahdi and delay the coming of the Dajjal also. We don't want the Dajjal to be here. Therefore, we don't want the Mahdi to be here either. The Mahdi's coming is a Rahmah for those people then. It's not a Rahmah for us now. The Rahmah for us now is following the Sharia. Mind your own business. <laughs> right? Do the work. Don't be lazy. Don't become fatalistic. Oh, the Mahdi will come and save us. You can't save anybody except yourself. The Mahdi is not going to save you. The Mahdi may help and assist people. But that's not the way you want to think. Uh, otherwise, as I said, you'll fall into fatalism and you won't do nothing. You'll just rely on dreams and then bask in your dream for 20, 30 years and then nothing happens. Um, when nothing happens, they say, what kind of wali is he that his dream didn't come true? Well, who told you to follow any dream anyway? Hmm? Follow the Sharia. It's safer, it's much more organized, it's much more practical. When you do this, Allah will then send his fadl upon you, and he will shower his rahmah on you, and you will be saved, inshallah, and delivered, inshallah, bi-dhinnah. And this is how Allah is now explaining this, what I just said, that the devil must not stop you and thwart you away from the right path, because indeed he is an open enemy for you. Yeah? An open enemy. Allah is saying that although he is hidden, he is open, Mubin, his clear enemy. His strategies and his plots and schemes are very clear. And he is telling you what he's doing. Huh? I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Okay. So when the enemy is telling you what he's going to do, then you must take heed, take precaution, and make sure you don't fall into his trap. Yeah. This is one of the traps of the devil. Fantasizing about the Mahdi is one of the traps of the devil. The devil wants you to think this way so that you don't do anything. Yeah. Anyway, So now Allah is now going back to the time of Isa and giving us a kind of story about what he did. So when Isa came, with all the proofs that Isa came, with many miracles of making now birds from clay and blowing into them, and they would fly away, okay, and then healing the, the leper, um, and also curing the blind, etc. So these were all done with Allah's permission, and uh, these are the bayinat, the signs, the clear proofs Allah is referring to. So Allah now gave Isa many clear proofs, uh, but what happened? He said that I come to you with hikmah. I come to you with hikmah. 
So the bayinat, the clear proofs, Isa is saying, there's a hikmah in the clear proofs that you must understand. So go from the miracle to what's behind the miracle. What's behind the miracle is Allah's idhan, Allah's permission. And you must believe in Allah and his permission. Uh, that's number one, that uh, there are ways to observe a miracle also. So those who have iman will observe the miracle correctly, and those who don't will observe the miracle incorrectly. So it will be one event, one incident, uh, that has two results for two different types of human beings. Hmm. So when the magicians saw Musa salam's staff becoming a serpent, they saw now the hikmah in the miracle, and they accepted Islam. They accepted Musa salam. Whereas the people of Firan didn't see it, they saw it as magic, and they remained non-Muslim. Likewise, the believers in Isa when they saw that he was performing miracles, they watched those miracles with hikmah. They understood the hikmah behind the miracle, and they maintained their Islam or Iman, or they became Muslim. Whereas the non-believers didn't see that hikmah. So in one incident, depending on your state of mind, you'll see the incident very differently. So you observe this, but the person on the other side doesn't observe what you observe, even though he's looking at the same phenomenon. This is the meaning of the word hikmah. I have come to you with hikmah, so understand that all of this is done through Allah's idhan. So believe in Allah's idhan. وَلَيُبَيِّنَ لَكُمْ بَعْلَ الَّذِي تَخْتَلِفُونَ فِيهَا And since the community of the Banu Israel is the blueprint for any religious community after them, now invariably they differed amongst themselves. Okay? They had fights, not about the world, but about the deen. Yeah. Now I have come now to explain to you some of that which you differ in. Yeah, so when you have a difference in religion, in your own religion, then that's a fitna. That's almost an adab. Okay, so now you must resolve that tension. Who came to resolve that tension? Isa salam came to resolve the religious tension in the Banu Israel. They weren't fighting over non-religious issues. They were fighting over religious issues. And so, as I said, their blueprint for any religious community and unfortunately, as the Prophet them predicted, we will follow the Banu Israel footstep for footstep. So we also fight and bicker about religious issues. So we need Isa to come and resolve those tensions. <laughs> Meaning the religious issues are of two types. One that are what we call the thawabit, those that are permanent. The usul, the aqaid, our dogma and doctrine, and those that are movable and changeable, and they are now subject to a difference of opinion. So you have to make sure you don't differ about the essentials of deen. You may differ about some of the details of deen, which is now subject to ishtihad. That's how the Prophet resolved the tension for us in our deen, and he said that if there's an issue which is subject to ishtihad, you may agree and you may disagree. 
But you must remember that when a mujtahid, he is wrong, he is still rewarded, so you cannot take him to task for making a mistake. That is the hikmah of the Prophet Right. So he said, The mujtahid who has a different opinion from another mujtahid, he may be correct. In fact, in this hadith, he said, the Prophet said, he will make a mistake and he may be correct. So when he makes a mistake, he gets one reward. So if Abu Hanifa made a mistake in his jihad, you cannot condemn him because he's rewarded for his mistake. Whereas you're not. <laughs> if you make a mistake... Uh, then you're held, held liable. Yeah. When the mujtahid makes a mistake, the Prophet ﷺ said he is rewarded. So how can you blame somebody who's going to be, be rewarded by Allah subhanahu You can't. So the Prophet ﷺ removed the tension of ikhtilaf if you understand his words, the hikmah. Okay? The hikmah behind the words of the Prophet. The, the very far-reaching and very deep and profound. So that's how the early Muslims, mashallah, to their credit, uh, did not discredit each other uh, when they thought the mujtahid was wrong. So you have a level of trust and respect in the system. So the system, if the system allows and accommodates a difference of opinion with adab, then that system is good. But you can only have a difference in opinion where it is allowed. You can't have a different opinion whether Allah exists or not. That's kufr. You can't have a different opinion about the Prophet If you do, that's kufr. So you have to separate where you can have a difference and where you cannot have a difference. So likewise, the Jews, they had their differences. And those differences were now, some of them were resolved by Isa So he came to relieve the tension from the religious community that they wanted to worship Allah the best way possible. But in their quest and zeal to worship Allah, they became so zealous that they would condemn each other. Because the Banu Israel, they weren't averse to killing the prophets. They killed prophets. So that community, in their zeal to become closer to Allah and then dictate the deen, they said, we can kill a prophet also. So that's ruthless. Where in this ummah, alhamdulillah, no one's going to kill the prophet, sallallahu inshallah. But there are those who kill the sahaba. Right? And that's not good. You can't kill the pioneers of the ummah because they are the foundations of the ummah and of the deen. So that tension has to be released. That's not an area where you can have a difference, that you can uproot the whole deen uh, by cursing and swearing at the people who served the Prophet ﷺ the most. So this is how we see. Uh, Isa came to resolve that tension, relieve the tension, and the Prophet ﷺ warned this ummah that it will go through the same tensions as the Banu Israel, which is what we're doing. So there... Yeah, taqlid is probably the greatest gift Allah gave to the ummah in resolving this tension. So I can now follow somebody else who's a mushtahid. Even if he's wrong, he's right because he's rewarded. Whereas if you don't appreciate ishtihad, then you're in trouble. Then you say everybody else is wrong. So everybody else who does not follow a madhav will now be very militant. 
Yeah, and very angry and very destructive. So this is how we see from Isa salam's relieving the tension, we see that coming into the Prophet wasallam, and he relieved the tension from the Ummah by allowing ijtihad. Yeah, meaning not everything is based on direct wahi from Allah and from the Prophet wasallam. Human intervention is always necessary in the development of any community. You must have human participation. So we had human participation with the Sahaba, they're human beings. We had human participation with the Tabim and the Tabi Tabim and then everybody else who came afterwards. They used their minds that were sound and safe from sin to understand and then to advise other Muslims that this is how you must understand your deen. Fattakullah. Therefore, fear Allah. Uh, that you must not be the owner of the deen. The owner of the deen is Muhammad You don't own the deen. Okay. You have no right to say that we dictate what the deen is if you know who Muhammad is. Where he's allowed us the ability to debate, we should debate. And where he has not allowed us to debate, we don't debate. وَطِيعُونَ yeah. and follow me. So you must follow the Nabi of the time. And they were, and they were expected. So now they were ulama of Torah. When Isa came there at the time of the Roman Empire, they, they were at the height of their reading, and they were scholars of Torah, and so on. And they were very close to the government, also, as we know. So they had this idea that they did not need any other uh, nabi or prophet or messenger to come and tell them about their deen because they, they believe they own the deen. So a Nabi comes and says, no, your deen is based on following a Nabi. And you must believe that and you must fear Allah if you don't follow the Nabi. Inna Allah huwa rabbi wa rabbukum Indeed, it is Allah who is my Lord and your Lord. So now worship Him. Isa did not tell anybody to worship Isa He told everybody to worship Allah. And this is a clear message in the Quran, throughout the Quran, that we say to everybody who believes in Isa that his message is very clear and simple. That there is Tawheed, there is one Allah, and he is the only one that we worship. Hada siratun mustaqim. This indeed is a straight path. So that if you want a path towards Allah, it is straight, it is not crooked. If you want to believe in Allah and worship Him, it's very straight, it's very coordinated, there's no chaos there, there's no confusion there, and so on. فَاخْتَلَفَ الْأَحْزَابُ مِنْ بَيْنِهِمْ فَوَيْلٌ لِلَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا مِنْ عَذَابِ يَوْمٍ أَلِيمٍ So now what happened uh, invariably with um, religious communities is that the groups then differed. Yeah. Yeah, the groups, they differed amongst themselves and they had fights and disputes. And what happened that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent them uh, this type of punishment upon them that they would never get together. Mimbainihim, from amongst themselves. So you see, religious, what you call it, differences and community strife that leads to sectarianism and violence is not the way of the prophets, والسلام, they want to keep the community together. So here Allah is now warning this ummah through Isa 
that if you do this, then you will have this wail upon you also. For wailun. So wail and woe unto me to those who are oppressors and unjust. And they must fear a severe punishment, a painful punishment. So the punishment is the disunity. So that's what we need to understand. So if you have several madhaib, then each madhaib has its place in the deen, and you may follow any one that you wish that is now based on you. But you must follow one, not two or three or four, and so on. So you must then surrender your understanding willingly to the understanding of those who are above you and better than you. That's out of humbleness and so on. You don't have the ability to scan the whole Qur'an and to scan all the documents of hadith to find an answer. So Allah made it easy. Find somebody who knows more than you do. And that's the Qur'anic prescription. فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ If you don't know, then you must ask people of the Qur'an. It's very simple. <laughs> Nothing complicated. What's complicated is you saying, you find the answer from the Qur'an Sunnah. First of all, you don't know how to read the Qur'an. Number two, when you do read the Qur'an, you don't know where any issue is. And then, where about the hadith? How many thousands of hadith are you going to now have in front of you? So you don't have that ability as an individual. Now, scholars who train for that, for decades, maybe they have some ability to do that. Uh, maybe they might have some you know, prerogative to say, in this issue, I don't want to follow this. That's a different issue. But for the majority of people, uh, Islamic intellectual discourse uh, should not be relegated to the schoolyard uh, or to the streets, to the ghettos. Islamic intellectual discourse believes in academia. It belongs in academia, only in academia. It has a very high status. You mustn't relegate it right down to the streets. So every time Dick and Harry is now saying, I don't believe this, I don't believe this, I don't believe this. So that's the adab. That's the painful adab that Allah imposes on the ummah if the ummah simply does not respond to Allah's now calling that follow Allah and the Rasul and follow those who have knowledge and people of Amr. People of authority. Who has authority? People of knowledge. If you have knowledge, then you have some authority. So now this is now the Adab in Alim. Allah subhanahu has mentioned to the Banu Israel, unfortunately came over to this Ummah. And this Ummah needs a little bit of reform, a little bit of refinement so that they don't end up where they ended up. So there is now a lot of work to do in terms of ijtihad and taqlid and in terms of following Allah and the Rasul and making sure the unity of the ummah is now preserved as much as possible. Now, about unity, there's a lot of discussion. There's cosmetic unity, and there's unity of the heart and unity of discipline, unity of accommodating differences of opinion. So if you are united in saying... We have a different opinion. That's a better unity than the cosmetic unity that we do salat all together the same way. Right? That's how it is. So there are certain issues the Sahaba did not resolve. And they didn't resolve the issues because they knew it was not intended to be resolved. So some of them did qirat behind the imam and some of them didn't. It was never meant to be. 
qatri issue that has to be resolved by the whole ummah, that you must follow only one. That's not the purpose. The purpose that you do any which way that is established from the sunnah, but you must have a methodology by which you ascertain this is right and this is wrong. That methodology is a madhab. Yeah. So the methodology is now a straight path. One straight path towards the sunnah. Since we don't have access to the Prophet ourselves here, we need to be in line with those who have access to the Prophet Anyway, so this is now, Isa uh, is now seen as an example. First and foremost for the Quraysh, that they have this absurd argument that Isa somehow is similar uh, to the idols and so on. And that's number one. And number two, that Isa salam did not die on the cross and he is coming back to, inshallah, convert people towards Islam, especially the Jews and Christians and so on. So he indeed is a sign of Allah's tawheed and Allah's now uh, creativity. And thirdly, he came to the Banu Israel with many signs many evidences and many miracles, but those miracles had now certain hikam behind them, certain forms of wisdom which they were supposed to observe. Some of them did and some of them didn't. And then fourthly, that there was ikhtilaf in the Banu Israel and that ikhtilaf somewhat was resolved by Isa in his training and in his uh, teaching the people who believed in him. So there were people who believed in Isa in his time. They were the Muhidun and they were the true Nasara and so on. Okay. And fourthly, fifthly, that after a Nabi goes, a religious community invariably out of passion and emotion and maybe sincerity in the beginning, uh, they will choose a way to be different from each other. And that is the devil's, now, what do you call it, revenge on the prophet. What's the devil's revenge? That he makes Muslims fight with each other. That's his revenge. Yeah. So now, you may have a different opinion. As in some areas you may have a different opinion, some areas you can't. Okay. So those where you cannot, that will lead to kufr. And those where you can, that will lead to a useful, productive discussion and celebrating difference opinion is one of our civilizational trademarks and values. We've always uh, excelled in accommodating each other in terms of those issues that are not necessary for najat and salvation and so on. So we stay away from bidah as much as possible. At the same time, we want to say that we are a wholesome community. So alhamdulillah, one of the other objections I have uh, at the time, is that, alhamdulillah, through Allah's fadl, we are still united, uh, I would say 95%, on the five pillars. So in that sense, we are still united in terms of our concept of deen. No one disagrees with them. Even the Shias believe in Salat somewhere, right? right? So what I'm saying is that we are still united on the five pillars, which is uh, the best form of religious unity in the world today. No religious community is united on anything except the Muslims who are united on the five pillars. So you mustn't go overboard uh, with your lamenting that there's disunity in the Ummah. Uh, there is disunity that is tolerated, and maybe not. 
But there's also unity in the Tawheed, in the Risala, in the Salat, Salam, Zakat, and Hajj. So you must celebrate that and say Alhamdulillah. And that is only because Allah has already now identified the five pillars for us through the Prophet He did not leave that to our imagination. So the definition of Islam uh, through the Hadith of Jibreel is basically the five pillars. So that was not left to our imagination. If it was left to our imagination, we'll have a different opinion. <laughs> we'll have 50,000 opinions about the five pillars or 50 pillars or 60 pillars and so on. So now that which is defined as the definition of Islam in the Hadith of Jibreel is Islam. Meaning on that point, we're all united. Until you get into politics, then obviously politics brings a lot of different opinions. And then you have the Khawarij, and then you have the Mu'tazili, then you have the Shia, all based on politics, basically. Right? Yeah. So politics is not the way you want to define a religion. A religion is something which is now acontextual, and it goes beyond time and space, because that's needed for your salvation. Politics is contextual. Okay. You don't need that for your salvation. That's needed for making sure you rule properly, you govern properly, and there's no injustice and people's rights are observed, etc. That's not needed, per se, for your salvation. In the definition of your salvation, you need the five pillars. And you need the iman, as in mentioned Hadith Jibreel also. So here, the ikhtilaf there, although Allah's fadl is upon us still, that through a taqwini measure, that through uh, something which is not within our uh, uh, immediate powers, Okay, the definition of Islam has now, uh, you know, test has passed the test of time. It's still there. This is Islam. Nobody can touch that. So that's how we must see Allah's fadl on us that there is some unity, and we should not be in total despair and say there is no unity because that's also incorrect. You can't say there is no unity. There is unity. Alhamdulillah, five pillars is very obvious, Marshall. Right? So we see that Isa Islam will come now also, that he will bring people back to uh, whatever he brings them back to, and it will be primarily to bring the Yahud and Nasara back to Islam, uh, the religion that he now preached when he was with the Banu Israel. So he was uh, given this Nabuah for the Jews. Isa Islam himself. Is a Hebrew. Right? So he came to reform the Hebrews and the Jewish people. Okay. The irony is that the Christians took on the Jew to be their leader. <laughs> That's a historical irony. Now, obviously, there are schemes and plots and conspiracies in that theory also, but it doesn't matter. What I'm saying is that Isa will come to unite the Jews and Christians uh, with regards to Islam. That will be his main purpose, right? Yeah. Isa life story is in several phases. One phase is the time of his birth. The other phase is when he's with the Banu Israel. Then the third phase is when he is lifted and raised in the heavens. And the fourth phase is when he returns. So there's the phases of Isa life. And in that sense, he is ilm. He is knowledge that he gives us knowledge. His life gives us knowledge of so many other details of how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends prophets to reform and to refine a religious community. Isa was not sent to non-Muslims. 
he was sent to Muslims, the Jews. They believed in Allah, they believed in Tawheed, they had the Torah. So they were a religious community. Musa Salam's first campaign was to a total uh, tyrant and a total non-Muslim. Then his mission was to the Banu Israel in the uh, Sinai Desert. Hmm? Yeah. Then Isa, who is the last of the Banu Israel, came to reform this religious community. So from Musa Islam to Isa, you see now the blueprint for a religious community. That's why they're mentioned all the time in Surah Baqarah. So they're used as examples where this ummah must not follow okay, the pitfalls that they fell into. So we must align ourselves with that seerah and this seerah and not assume that we're better because we're not. We do everything they do. And the whole world today is a testimony to that, that we do everything they do. <laughs> we no longer have a mind of our own. We no longer have thoughts of our own. We no longer, longer have intellect, intellect of our own. We have no ideas of our own. We have no culture of our own. We don't even have clothing or even our food of our own. Everything we do is Yehud Nasara. Everything. So it's about time uh, we kind of took matters into our hands and said, no, we are independent. Uh, we have our own civilizational values that came from the Prophet and we came to lead them. We didn't come to follow them. We came to lead them, and that's what we should do, especially at the intellectual and uh, social, cultural level, we must be leading them so that they know that we are ahead of them in this deen. Inshallah. But anyway, this is an example that Allah subhanahu gave to the Quraysh. One is Musa salam before he was sent to a religious community, meaning the Banu Israel in the desert. And the second is Isa salam who came at the climax of a religious community. So whether you come to an a-religious person, like the Firaun, or whether you come to a religious community like the Banu Israel, you have to follow what Allah wants you to do. That's the message to the Quraysh, and that is how Allah is now preparing the Prophet ﷺ for his campaign in Medina, as this is a, a late Makki surah. The surah Zukhruf is a late Makki surah. Allah is preparing the Prophet ﷺ for his campaign in Medina, that when you go to Medina, you're going to meet the Yehud Nasara again, and you're going to have a religious community, and when you have that religious community, they must not do what the Banu Israel did. And that's the basic guideline we have from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah give us tawfiq to recite the Qur'an, to understand the Qur'an, and to follow the Qur'an. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen, Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, 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 Thank <laughs> you.